0: Welcome to the audio sermons of South Baton Rouge Presbyterian Church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We hope you are encouraged by listening. For more information, please feel free to browse our site at www.sbrpc.org. Good
1: morning and welcome again to South Baton Rouge Presbyterian Church. My name is Brent Corbin and glad to be with you all this morning. You want to turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We'll read from there in just a moment. Uh, But let me pray for us before we do this morning. Father, thank You for uh, Your Word. Thank You for the opportunity and the privilege it is that we have now to turn to it and to hear from You through it. Um, Lord, we no doubt uh, come here this morning from lots of different places. We've had different kinds of weeks. Uh, Some of us come in here and we're just flat exhausted, Uh, and whether that's through just busyness or physical exhaustion, or whether through just the weight of life. Uh, the cares of this world, the things happening in us, in our own hearts, or around us, in circumstances, in those, the lives of those whom we love. And so we come needing a word of rest. We need a word of comfort. Lord, some of us come this morning and um, our hearts are are heavy with with sin and with guilt and knowing that um, we are living lives that we know are out of accord with what you have for us and what you say is best for us and we come in here heavy this morning and we need to hear a word of pardoning grace from your word others of us think that we're great and that we just can't wait to keep going out and dominating life Lord would, would you give us a sense of the humility that comes through understanding our position and place before you that we are desperately in need of Your grace, and all that is good about us and in us is because You have been kind to us. But for all of us, as we come together, meet us by Your Spirit here in these words. We pray and ask in Jesus' name, amen. Have you, uh, have you ever had to defend yourself? Like really, really defend yourself? Maybe, uh, maybe you were accused by someone of using your time Uh, in a way that they didn't like or think was appropriate. And you kind of had to explain why you did this or that or whatever. Maybe uh, someone questioned your work ethic. You know, if you're a pastor and they see you in the gym at like 2 o'clock on a Wednesday, they're just like, whoa, don't you even work? It's like, yes, I was up late last night with you and your family till midnight because you're a mess. Um, Maybe you've had to defend yourself in court, actually lawyering up and having to do that thing. Hopefully it wasn't for anything too serious, but maybe you find yourself in that place. Maybe at school you've gotten harassed by some classmates or people are giving you the business and you you have to defend yourself and tell them why they're wrong or uh, stick up for yourself, something like that. Maybe you've been accused of cheating, you had to prove to your teacher you didn't do it or admit to your teacher if you did it. I guess this is a college football-themed Sunday here at saipat Rouge. Um, Deion Sanders, who if you do or do not know that name, that's fine. Uh, Dion Sanders was a great football player, baseball player, tremendous athlete. Uh, he was on my favorite team growing up, the Dallas Cowboys, and was Hall of Famer, just an amazing athlete. Um, you may or may not know that this last year he took over as the head football coach at the University of Colorado in, in Boulder. And to know Deion Sanders is to know that he is quite a character. Uh, Never been shy in front of a microphone or the big stage or whatever. And you kind of never know what he's going to say. And um, so it's been really fun to watch it. Colorado has not done as well recently, but they started off the year uh, in a blaze of glory. And what was really fun about that was leading up to that game uh, against TCU, the first game of the year, uh, through the summer, all the sports writers and the journalists and the TV shows, they had all been talking about Dion, about Prime being back, you know, coaching again, or coaching at this level for the first time. And man, people were throwing serious shade at him, uh, because he had, he had taken over his coaching duties and done some things that were, that were fairly non-traditional. Uh, he went into Colorado to that program, and he kind of cleared out the roster, brought in his own players. He... He put his own son as the starting quarterback, right? Did some, some things that raised some eyebrows. And I mean, just the sports writers love to write about him and, and talk about him. Well, that first week as he, let uh, me lower this for a little bit, as he came down, as they traveled down to Fort Worth, Texas, and put on a display against TCU and beat them that first game of the year, <laughs> Coach Prime walks into the post-game conference, you know, just strutting. I mean, just feeling it. And he just sits down at a a kind of an angle. If there was a desk there, he'd probably put his feet on it. And he said this, what's up, bosses? Do you believe now? Do you believe? And what he's really doing is he's got his eyes on this one sports writer who's like a few rows back. Because you can tell from the camera angle, he is just fixated on this guy. And he says, do you believe? And you can hear the guy kind of mumble something you don't really know. And he says, oh, no, 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 no. I read through all that bull junk that you wrote about me this summer. I sifted through all that. Do you believe? And this guy, you do hear his voice this time. He says, believe what? No, you still don't believe. You still don't believe. And he gets up. And he walks off the stage and you hear, you hear Dion say, I keep those receipts. Oh, I keep all those receipts. And maybe you know that phrase, maybe you don't. Uh, it's, a, it's a funny phrase. What he is saying was, I remember everything you said about me. I could go look it up. I keep track of it. But I've also kept track of my receipts. And what I'm doing here today is I'm showing you my receipts I'm the real deal, and I'm here to stay. I keep those receipts. Uh, What was Dion doing when he showed those receipts? He was defending himself. He was saying, here's who I am, here's my track record, here's all the things I've done, deal with it. The setting for this letter, actually the whole of this letter of 1 Corinthians, and even a lot of Paul's letters to those early churches that many of whom he had planted and ministered in, is he had to defend himself in these various settings, and that that makes sense if we think about it for just a second, because um, Christianity was new. Jesus was newly resurrected in, at that time, the last couple decades. And so as Paul and these other missionaries are traveling about that part of the world and planting these churches and sharing the Gospel with people and organizing people into these bodies uh, uh, of churches, of people, he would have to defend his ministry. And they would. And he'd have to say, like, here's who we are. Here are our receipts. This establishes, it confirms the trustworthiness of our message. You can believe us We're here to stay. We are the real deal. But as Paul is doing that in this letter, in this portion we're about to read, he actually goes further than just showing receipts. He says there's a way that you live in the Gospel which allows you to actually throw your receipts away. There's a way to live in Jesus that frees you up from having to defend yourself at every turn from the people around you and even from yourself. So how do we do it? How do we do it? Let's look at this passage, 1 Corinthians 4, verses 1-5. through It's in your passage probably up behind me. turns out it's actually in the Bible too. This is God's Word. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it's required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. But with me it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. This is God's word for us this morning. As you see in this passage, Paul starts out in verse 1 and 2 right there as I I hinted at, and he shows his receipts. He shows his receipts. He defends his ministry, and he says, we are servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. And he goes on in verse 2 to say, look, to be a steward means that you take that which has been entrusted to you and you give it to others or you take care of it faithfully. And he's saying that's what we're doing. That's As we travel around and share the gospel and and plant these churches, that's what we are doing. We are stewarding the mysteries or the message of the gospel in Christ. Now, he doesn't necessarily, in this passage particularly, go on a long uh, excursus. He doesn't flesh out what that mystery is or what the gospel is in its fullness. But what he does do is give a very, very huge clue to understanding the gospel. If you go further down in verses 4 and 5, here's what he says. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, don't pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Here's what Paul's saying that if you are in Christ, and again, as Nathan said, we don't presume that everyone in here is. If you are believing in Jesus, though, the fact that it is the Lord who judges you is actually the best news in the world. When you think about God judging you, if you are believing in Jesus and His person and what He did in His life and His substitutionary death for you at the cross, to hear that the Lord judges you should make us raise our hands. And if we weren't Presbyterian, we probably would. And say, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. Because for the Lord to judge those who are in Christ means that He is declaring you innocent. And that He can look at you as those whom He has brought into His family and say, son, daughter, child, innocent, free, forgiven. It is the Lord who judges you is what Paul is saying. And if you are in Christ, that is ultimate good news. And if Dion were here, he'd say, do you believe that? And there's two massive benefits that flow from that truth. And Paul gives them to us in this passage. The first is right there in verse 3. He says, but with me after he had defended himself and shown his receipts, he says, but with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. It's a small thing, Paul says. It's it's not that big of a deal now that I've already been judged by the Lord in Christ and therefore been acquitted of all my sin. It's just not that big of a deal what you think about me. I've been declared righteous. And that changes... It changes the way that I care about what you think about me. It helps me. It frees me up from putting so much weight and stock in your opinion of me. And Paul's saying, so look here, we know who we are. We're servants of Christ. We're bringing the gospel to you. And look, we don't want to be unnecessarily offensive with this gospel, but at the end of the day, if you don't like what we have to say or you don't like the way we say it, I'm okay with that. what would change in your life? What would change in my life? I've been thinking about it a lot. What would change in your and my life if we were actually freed up in this kind of way? From being enslaved to what others think about us and the way we spend our time or the way we spend our money. Sometimes we need to be checked on those things. But what happens if we, at the end of the day, say, look, It's the Lord who judges me. I'm accountable most of all to Him. What would change? Where would you be freed up? I remember um, the late Tim Keller saying, and he's written a book about this passage, which, you know, if this doesn't suit your fancy today, just go read it. It's better. Um, But he's written a book about this passage, and, and through these verses, he says that one of the ways that you will know that the gospel has actually taken root in your heart and has gone down deep into your life is if and when you can be criticized by others without being crushed. That you can hear someone come to you and, and offer a rebuke to you about something in your life or come and challenge something about you. And he says that even if it's your harshest critic who you seemingly only get challenged and pushed back from, he said, "Believing the Gospel and having your security in the Lord's judgment of you and therefore His love of you in Christ frees us up to not only not be crushed, but actually say, you know, I wonder if there's any truth in what they said. And to begin to kind of settle into it and say, let me see if there's an aspect of truth. They may just be trying to bury you, Maybe. But maybe there's an aspect of their criticism that I could take to heart and that there is a part of my life that I need to adjust or change or repent of and turn from and turn to something else. So what is your default response when people criticize you or when they challenge you or when they might bring to you a legitimate concern about your life? Uh, Maybe you're defensive. And maybe you, before they even get the words out of their mouths, you have already built your case and you're saying, well, yeah, but I mean, if you understood and you just have your litany of things that have happened or your reasons for having done such thing, if you understood all these thousand things about me, then you wouldn't even want to sit there and criticize me. Or maybe you're dismissive and you say, well, you don't really know me. Like, who are you? to speak into my life, and you dismiss them out of hand, or maybe you've already kind of done the the calculus and realized that this person who's bringing this criticism or this critique to you, that they really don't have any social value for you, and they can't advance your life at all, and so you just write them off. You write them off and, and count them as inconsequential because you're like, they just don't matter. They can't serve me at all, so why do I even care about them? Do you want off of that roller coaster? Of having to defend yourself or having to be defensive or having to dismiss others? Paul says the way off that roller coaster is to be freed by Jesus Christ through the gospel. And to know that you live your life before the face of of a God who is of ultimate importance and in Christ is of ultimate, ultimate significance in your life. And he says that I've already judged you in Christ at the cross and therefore I have no more condemnation for you. That if you're in Christ, there is nothing that can separate you from my love. And if you can believe that, and as that drops kind of from your mind down into your heart and plays itself out in your life, you will be freer and freer from what others think. It is not an instantaneous situation, and if you found it to be, give me the cliff notes on that. It works itself out over time as the gospel continues to change us. But Paul goes on and says there's actually another benefit from this. There's another way that we are freed, and it's the second half of verse 3. But with me, it's a very small thing. I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, he says, I do not even judge myself. Being freed in Jesus in this gospel of grace frees you and changes the way that you think about you. That not only do we come out from under the tyranny of what other people think about us and their constant criticism or judgment or whatever but we actually are freed from our own incriminating, self-destructive thoughts. Have you ever had the thought, or maybe you've talked to someone who has, who has said this, I know God forgives me, but I just can't forgive myself. Or the flip side of that, I know God loves me, but I just can't love myself. This summer, as um, we were traveling around with RYM, doing all these summer conferences with youth groups and, and talking with youth, I, I was teaching a seminar and we were talking about this topic right here. And I said, do you know that, that when you say that or when you think that or when someone you, around you thinks that, um, we need to recognize that for what it is. And, and you, I disclaimed it in all kinds of ways because those sort of thoughts... Are not, there's not much of a jump from those thoughts to really dark and self-destructive thoughts that can play themselves out in self-harm and, and, and worse. But I said, we need to see those thoughts for what they are. When we say, "I know God loves me, but I don't love me," what we are doing is we are putting ourselves in our own voice about ourselves above the Lord's voice. When we say, I know God forgives me, but I can't forgive myself, that is us saying that my voice in the judgment that I pronounce over my actions is of more consequence than the God of the universe and what He thinks about me. And I just want to call this for what it is. In any aspect of life, wherever we put ourselves in the place of God, that is the height of pride. And that may sound weird because usually when you talk about pride and think about pride, it's like someone who's pompous and beating their chest and look how great I am. But there is an aspect of pride which just says, I get unassailable voice into my own life. And if these thoughts are familiar to you, and if you look at yourself and say, I do that, I certainly have done this, I would simply invite you to repent of that. And to tell God, I am sorry that I have put myself in your place in my life. And that I have cared too much about what I think about me and how I've pronounced judgment over my life in a way that has demoted you in my life. God, please forgive me for that. Hear me very clearly on this. You will be and you are as free from the tyranny of what others think about you and what you think about you as you are secure in knowing what the Lord thinks about you. You are as free from the tyranny of what others think about you and even what your own self-conscious estimation of you think about you as you are free in knowing what the Lord thinks about you in Christ. And so if you know that you've been forgiven in Christ, then you have nothing to fear from God. You can actually begin to throw the receipts away in your life. So that's what it looks like to be freed up from others and to be freed up from ourselves. And again, it's a process. This isn't an instantaneous thing, but it is a certain thing for those who are in Christ. As the Spirit takes hold in us, we continue to bring our confession to Him when we doubt it, when we disbelieve it, we ask Him to continue to remind us of the Gospel. and We seek to believe it. So what are we freed? That's what we're freed from. Then what are we freed to? What are we freed to? If we're freed from self and from others and their enslaving thoughts about us, what are we freed to? When Jesus rescues you, when He declares you innocent through what He has done at the cross in taking your sin from you in your record and nailing it to Himself at the cross and receiving God's just judgment for that, what does it mean? How does it flow out in our lives? I would suggest these few things. That if that becomes true of you, you actually begin to have margin in your life and in your heart to see people. Just to see other people around you. Because you want to know the magic shift that has happened? You are not so self-obsessed as you once were. For every moment you don't spend obsessing about what others think about you or what you think about you and sitting just in the tumult of that place, you actually are freed for a moment to look around you and say, oh, turns out this person over here is hurting. Or this person over here is lonely. or..." This person over here is very sick, or they have family stuff going on, and I can move toward them. It frees us up to slow down and to listen with other to listen to other people and to sit with them. It is and it isn't more complicated than time. <laughs> to the degree that we are freed up from ourselves and from other people. It's to the degree that we will have more time in our life and more energy and more bandwidth to just have our eyes open for the needs of others around us and to have time to spend with them and to care for them. Look, when, when Jesus says in the Gospels that we are to be salt and light in the world, that's not like salt in an open wound, <laughs> like it goes and we're just supposed to burn people. It's not light like an LED light point blank in your eye that just hurts, obviously. Jesus sends us out into the world to be a preserving people. To be a people that, that highlights the good of others or that brings to the surface what is going on in their life so that it might be healed and might be brought back into fullness. As we are sent out as light, it is to the point not so we can go expose people in all of their darkness, it's, a, it's so that we can bring into, into light the things that are in darkness in this world, and walk with people gently with love toward healing and toward wholeness. Jesus sends us out so that we might be useful in the world, not so that we can be condemning of the world. So let's go down just a bit deeper with this. Where does the brokenness show up around you? For those of you who work outside the home, think about your workplace. Who are the people there? What are just those snippets of things that you've caught maybe in just a passing conversation and you've realized, oh, that might have been significant, but I just don't have the time to do that right now. Where could you go and maybe follow up with them? Hey, you said this thing the other day. I want to ask you about it. What about your the, your neighbors, the people who live around you, maybe on your street or in an apartment complex or in your dorm building or whatever it might be? Where are you being freed up to sit with people and to be present in their lives? Maybe it looks like maybe it looks like going to your kid's school and not at the craziest times, asking the teacher how they are, but maybe in a calmer time, if there ever are calm times at kids' schools, but. Hearing how teachers are, how their teachers are, being salt and light there, being curious. Don't just use and take from them what they're offering you, but to try to give them what they might need. Maybe it's even those neighbors who might live under your own roof and they might share the last name, the last name with you. And as you are freed from, from what others think about you and what you think about you, you're freed up to sit with them in a different way. And to say, where how are you doing? Where have I failed you or hurt you? That's a tricky one. Uh, You'll get an answer. Like, how could I love you better? What what more do you need from me? Because I've got time now. I want to pull this thread just a little bit further. What would it look like if there were a community of people in this city? Maybe these 200 people right here or so who as we are freed up more and more from others' enslaving thoughts about us, from our own self-obsession, that we are freed up more and more to live for the good of those around us. What would that look like? What would the impact be like in our city? And I don't, we don't need to go draw stats about that. It doesn't take much creativity, though, to realize that would probably matter. There are people around us, friends, who they need... They need people in their lives who care and who are not self-obsessed and who are not enslaved to what others think about them. And if you ever want to be one of those people, I would suggest starting with Jesus. Knowing who you are before the Lord and that He has acquitted you, pardoned you, declared you innocent, brought you into His family, and said, I have nothing but love for you that actually begins to free us up to move toward others in love. Let me close with this. I'm sure we all have, um, I'm sure we all have a friend who sends us weird YouTube videos. Uh, if you don't, you need to find a friend like that. But um, my friend is a guy named Bevan Houston who lives in Tulsa where we used to live. And I mean, I get some weird stuff from him. Um, but it's fine, and I watch like half of them. Uh, I watched one about three weeks ago that he sent me. And um, it's so bizarre. I don't even really know if this is what it's about, but I'm going to give it my best. It was a... um, It was just like a camera set up on the other side of a table. Let's say the camera was over here facing that way, and on this side of the table was a rotation, and it would cut out to different members. It was a rotation of rural Pakistani people who had a computer sitting in front of them open on the table And there was a narrator sitting over here who, I presume, just told them, hey, I'm going to let you watch this video, and I'm going to ask you some questions along the way, and I just want to hear what you have to say, or I'm going to write down what you say. So here's what happened. Um, They started a video of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, and just let it play on this screen, and It was bizarre because you you don't really know what's happening on the screen. Sometimes it would cue in and show you that, but it's watching their reaction and y'all, I mean, they are like mystified by this situation. Like, who is this man? What is he doing? Why is he smiling so much? Like he's helping people, he seems so happy. It's just like this funny, bizarre video. And then it ends. you're just like, what happened? What did I just do for the last 30 minutes? Um, here's what I like to think is happening, that you have this, this rotation. There's five or so people from rural Pakistan who they don't really, they have not seen much TV. And that becomes evident through this, through this video. They talk about like, well, sometimes we see something if the satellite works. Or occasionally, our kids will buy a USB stick from the market, and we will watch TV. And so, like, very little outside knowledge of the rest of the world. So, there's that. It's probably not also hard to imagine that rural Pakistan, a very, um, you know, traditionally, historically, a part of the world that has not been tremendously friendly to Westerners, right? Um, likely had heard some stories about Americans and, and who we are and what we do in the world, and that's not necessarily a good story or portrayal that we would have received. And so as they're watching Mr. Rogers, their heads are exploding. They're just like, wait, what? This is what Americans can be like? What if there was a video that you could watch that could convince you what the Lord thinks about you? That for those of you in Christ who really are failingly believing the Gospel, but you're clinging to it with some small bit of faith, what if there were a video that could tell you, no, He he really is this way. God really does love you. He really is not sitting there like a coach tapping the clipboard, waiting for you to get your life in order and for you to do the plays right. He has nothing but love for you. And any time you feel His discipline, it's as a Father who disciplines those whom He loves. Friends, the Bible, the Gospel, the whole thing that we come here to do every week is to remember that in Christ, God really is for us. He really is. He really does love you. He really does consider you his son or his daughter. He's not holding out anything from you. Paul goes on to say in Romans 8 that if you are in Christ, if you are found in him, he will not, he has nothing else to give you. How will he not also in Jesus graciously give you all things? He's not waiting on you to graduate to a level of holiness or goodness in your life and then he will bless you. No, Paul says. It's the Lord who judges you. And if you're in Christ, you have been judged free. And if you are not yet in Christ, run, don't walk into His arms, and be free. Let me pray for us. Father, thank You for the good news of Your Gospel. That we can be completely known and completely pardoned through Your Son. Send Holy Spirit to open our eyes, the eyes of our hearts, to see that, to know it, to believe it, to receive it, and free us up to live for the good of others in this world. We pray this all in Jesus' name.
0: Thank you for listening to this audio sermon of South Baton Rouge Presbyterian Church. Please feel free to pass it along to others who might be encouraged by this message. Also, if you have any questions or would like to know more about the church or a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, please feel free to browse our website at www.sbrpc.org or contact the church office directly at area code 225-768-9999. Again, thank you for listening.